You are listening to Pastor Scott Rising of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Love Expressed Through a Covenant, recorded on Sunday, March 3rd, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Scott as he preaches. Harvest, it's great to be with you today, and hopefully wherever you're finding yourself worshiping today, you just heard chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, and you thought, wow, that's, that's a ton of verses, and it is, and um, yet there's a lot of awesome stuff in there. I hope that you take the time to continue to read 1 Samuel with us as we continue in this book, because many times as we engage the Word of God on a, on a Sunday morning or like this evening, Friday night, we can't cover all these things, but I think you'll see tonight um, that, that, that God expresses His love through a covenant. So if you remember back a couple weeks, Pastor Mike preached a sermon titled, Love's Special Ingredient right? And hopefully you remember what that ingredient was. It was humility. And this is where we first really saw Jonathan and David. And, and Pastor Mike was working from a text that said this, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And so we see back again, here we are back with these two They made a covenant with each other, right? And then last week we had that crazy story uh, that would have, as Pastor Mike said, made a great Netflix show, and maybe someone will produce it. Not yet, though. But we pick it back up right now with our story today with the love between Jonathan and David. And and yes, they spoke this love, and they had a covenant, but you're going to see this love expressed, And I think that's the the point of this whole chapter is you'll see the covenant is expressed. See, in order for love to be genuine, it must express itself. And it expresses itself generally in loyalty. Loyalty is a must. See, no matter the relationship, loyalty is essential. Without it, well, relationship will not last. There's no way for it to last, right? Think about it. I mean, think about all the different relationships that we have. And then imagine if there was no loyalty between them, right? If, if a worker is not loyal to the employer, right, you will find that the company will suffer harm. On the flip side of that coin, if the company is not loyal to the employee, well, then the employee will lose their job. Possibly, they'll lose, obviously, they'll lose their income, they'll lose benefits, and many other things along the way. So loyalty is important between an employee and an employer. How about friendship, right? It's, it's imperative that we have loyalty in friendship. A friend is not, if, if a friend is not loyal, right, what happens? Well, trust is broken, and, and all the benefits that were uh, accrued throughout the years, they're gone. They're gone. Now, they may come back, but generally they never come back to the, to the amount that it was prior to that break in trust. How about marriage? How about marriage? You know, if, if a husband and a wife are not loyal to one another, they generally will face divorce. Not always, but that's where it can go. And many times that leads to, obviously, if they get divorced, a painful separation. And that separation leads to suffering. And it's not just those two, right? I mean, when the, the grenade goes off of a divorce, shrapnel hits everybody. The closer you are to that relationship, the harder it hits, Right? So children, they, they suffer greatly. Parents, 
suffer greatly, friends, family, because they don't know what to do. Should I call just him? Should I call her? Well, it also affects the husband and the wife. I mean, you're one flesh, and you're ripped apart, and there's, it's hard to recover from that. I don't know if you ever do. I've, I've not been, but I've had many friends, many family members who have been, and uh, it takes its toll, and I've seen the effect. So I think we can all agree that, that for love to express itself, loyalty is a must. It's an absolute must, and I think that's what we see here. I'm convinced you'll see it in 1 Samuel chapter 20 today, right? Where we pick it up and we see that the drama continues as Saul's attitude towards David is becoming increasingly volatile. And it's hard to imagine it getting worse, and yet it does, as we see, as we see in the text. Saul has already made six attempts to kill David, right? Two in chapter 18 and four in chapter 19. And, and David now must make a decision as to whether or not it's safe to go back. It seems very obvious to me. It should seem obvious to everyone. And yet Jonathan seems to be a little rather naive, in my opinion, at the extent of how far his father's hatred goes towards David. And so the covenant that Jonathan has entered into with David is about to be put to the test in a very big way, which brings us to the first point in the map, right? Jonathan's love is expressed through his loyalty by being willing to help David while he's in great need. This is where friendship really matters, right? It's easy to be friends when everything's awesome, but when things become very difficult, very challenging, you'll generally find out who your friends really are, and that's exactly what we see here. See, the New Moon Festival was obviously an important festival, which David was expected to attend. This is a huge problem, though, because it sure seems that if David shows up to this dinner, he's going to be killed. And so he's in this huge dilemma. So Jonathan and David, they cook up this this, uh, idea, let's say, to test the waters, to see how Saul is doing. And they decide that David should not attend the festival. And if Saul is cool with his absence, well then they probably have an idea that it's okay that David could come back. If he's still positive towards David, they'll know. But if Saul gets upset, if he shows any anger towards David, then the assumptions will be confirmed. And there's no doubt that this is a very troubling time for David and for Jonathan And so here these friends go. And this is why David reminds Jonathan of the covenant. That's why he reminds him. See, love consists of more than words. Not less than, right? We should express our love to the people that we have love for, right? You know, to the wife, to the husband, to the friends. We should tell people. But if it terminates just on words, it's not really love. It's not really love. So it has to show itself. And David reminds Jonathan of the covenant that is between them so that he can draw comfort from it, right? So that he can draw strength from it and he can be reassured by it. And so look at it. Verse 8 of chapter 20. It says there, he says, Therefore, listen, deal kindly. Deal kindly with your servant for you have brought your servant into a covenant. A covenant of the Lord with you. So, so David's going right back to this. And then you're going to see in verses 14 through 17, I'm just outlining the covenant pieces, right? Jonathan reciprocates and, and he says this. He says, if I am still alive, 
Show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And once again we see in verse 23 that God is said to be the witness of this covenant. This matters, right? And verse 23 says, And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. And lastly, in the last verse, in verse 42, it says this, Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. Man, covenantal love is at the heart of this chapter. It absolutely is. And more profoundly, it's at the heart of the Bible. We're a covenantal people, right? Covenants are binding, right? They're a binding agreement between two parties, and they involve solid promises and unconditional commitments. Relationships need covenants. And we don't maybe use that language, but they absolutely need them. It's essential that they have them. The relationship between David and Jonathan is an extraordinary friendship. They have a, like a, a band of brothers kind of friendship. And here's the thing. That friendship needs a covenant. And it needs to be expressed in commitment, in loyalty, through this covenant. And everyone knows it, too. right? Do you remember the movie Stand By Me? Now, you may not like that movie. I'm telling you, I think it's a, a, a fantastic movie. So check it out, plugged in. I'm not recommending it. It has some swear words, but here's what I know. This story is a great story of loyalty between friends. You know, there's this, there's this part where, where Gordo, he's talking to Chris. And Chris, is, he's from the wrong side of the tracks. And he gives his buddy a, a gun. And, and Gordy, he's from a good side of the tracks, right? And he's like, hey, Chris, is this gun loaded? And Chris is like, nah, it's not loaded. And so he like holds it out. And it's like a great moment. He pulls the trigger and bang, and out goes the bullet. And, and Gordy, he runs. He's terrified. He didn't think it was loaded. Chris follows after him. They're laughing. And Gordy is angry. And he's really unsure of his friend right now. He's really unsure of his friend. And he says this. He said, did you know that that gun was loaded? And, and he says, I didn't know. And, and Gordy says, you swear? And Chris responds, yeah, yeah, I swear. And Gordy then says, on your mother's name? And Chris responds, yeah, yeah, on my mother's name. And Gordy then says the unthinkable when he says this. Even if she goes to hell because you lied. And Chris responds, yes, I swear. Now you would think, you would think that that would be sufficient in that moment, that it would be satisfactory, but not for good old Gordo. So he ups the game and he says, pinky swear, right? Like I'm thinking, pinky swear, how does that like trump the other thing? But anyway, and Chris is like exhausted in that moment and he says, pinky swear. And so they pinky swear in that moment and they do the deed. See, what's amazing is this shows, this shows that even children know that loyalty matters. They're making a covenant. They're making a vow. They see the importance of loyalty. And by the way, Chris, Chris sets the bar high for best friends, man. At the age of 12, he puts most grown men to shame in how loyal he is to his friend. And see, here's the thing. 
We all need that. And Jonathan and David, they need that. Just like Gordy and Chris, we all need reassured and reminded of loyalty and of love. I think back to a time where, maybe you remember the game where it's like the trust me game, right? So this one time, Sarah was very young and uh, she's still young. She's 13, but she was much younger then. And we were playing this game where you would like just dead fall back and I would catch her, right? And I'm trying to build trust with her. And at first she's very nervous. She would not really ever fully commit. She would kind of hesitate in case I wasn't there, but I'm trying to teach her like, daddy will be there for you. I got you girl. So we do this like 50 times. She's now having fun. She's all into it. We're in a picnic, right? And so I walk away. We're done. I tell her we're done. She knows we're done. And then all of a sudden she just thinks like I'm omnipresent. And she's like, all right, daddy, here I go. And bam. And she hits the ground, seriously. And I'm like, sweetie, this only works if I'm there. She needed a lot of reassuring from that day forward, right? And um, I think we're good, though. But see, here's the thing. All love needs reassured. All love needs reminded. It needs reminded of loyalty. It needs reminded of the covenant. And we see that, right? If you've been reading through your Bible with us as a church, we've been going through the discipleship reading plan together. Well, this week, what we, if you were reading along, you would have seen this awesome moment where Moses is asked by God to go up to the mountain a second time with the new tablets of stone. And, and God appears before him. And he reassures Moses of his loyalty, of his love, and of the covenant right before it's renewed, which is amazing. So, so let's look at Exodus 34, 6 through 7a, the first portion of 7. And this is awesome. Pay attention, man. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Just picture this, right? Moses is unsure because you got to remember right before this, God said, all right, I'm going to give you all these things, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, if you don't go with us, God, then just kill us. Let us be, let us be dead here. And he starts to appeal to God's character. And so he's feeling very insecure about this moment. And God reassures Moses. He reassures Moses and he says this, the Lord passed before him and he proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious. (laughs) Oh, that's good news, right? Slow to anger. He has a long wick, right? His face don't get red at the first drop of, of a moment where he's upset. No, he's abounding in steadfast love. He's got Tons, right? It's immeasurable. It's abounding and it's in faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. <laughs> Man, what an awesome God we have. And Moses, he knew that. I mean, he, he had taken him through the Red Sea, delivered him from Egypt, but he needed reminded. And I don't know about you, but I need reminded. I need reminded daily, sometimes hourly of God's goodness, of his grace. Now, I know it intellectually, but many times my heart feels very disconnected from that truth. That's why I remind myself of the gospel. See, the Lord's proclamation of his own name and his character reassures Moses. And Moses needed reminded. He needed reassured of the Lord's gracious character in preserving Israel for God's glory and overall purpose. And so maybe you're here and you need reminded of that. 
And so I want you to go back to that text and keep going back to it because we could talk about that all day. The fact of God's steadfast love that he, he forgives. And as far as the east is to the west, Jehovah sees no more of your sin if you're in Christ. Right? That's good news. He's washed you white as snow. He sees you as a beloved child. We need to be reminded of that. And that's true for all who are looking to Jesus in faith. We all need reminded and reassured of love. And this is one of the reasons why the Lord gave us what's called the Lord's Supper or communion. It was given to us as followers. One of the reasons is so that we, we remember, right? Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. It's What are we reminding ourselves? That God treats us in Jesus with mercy, with grace, and with loving kindness. He's reminding us of his love that he expressed upon the cross, right? So I want to read the the Luke 22, 19 through 20, and I want you to think about this is the night before Jesus goes to the cross and he's having a meal with his friends. And these are very familiar words to anybody who's had any time in church. But man, let them hit you fresh right now. Right? So look at Luke twenty two, nineteen through twenty. Jesus says he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying that this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. <laughs> See when we need reassured of God's love. We look to the cross because that's where Jesus expressed his love most profoundly for sinners. When he took our place, this is the new covenant. It's it's poured out in my blood. Man, you want to know if God loves you? Look to Christ. Look to the blood of Christ. That's love. That's great love. And so do you see that Jonathan, well, they had made a covenant. He had made a covenant with David. And it That covenant, by the way, ultimately serves the greater covenant that's drenched in blood between Jesus and between God and his people, which is amazing because Jesus is perfectly loyal to the Father and his friends. Love expresses itself in loyalty. That's the first point, and I think we all see that. The second thing is, though, it doesn't stop there. For love to be expressed, it takes courage. It takes real courage, right? Jonathan's love is expressed through his undaunted courage in the midst of great turmoil. That's the second point on your map. So, picking it back up in the drama, right? So the new moon festival arrives, and and King Saul sat down to eat. Now, you need to picture this. He's the king. Saul notices that David's seat is empty, right? And and the first thinks, okay, David's unclean. He's ceremonially unclean. That's why he's not here. But then the second day rolls around, and David is still not around. He's nowhere to be seen. And this absence causes Saul to ask Jonathan why David is missing. And as agreed, Jonathan tells his father that David has asked permission to attend his family's sacrifice, where they were going to offer sacrifices with his family. Now look at Saul's response in verse 30 and 31. It says, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me. 
for he shall surely die. Man, Saul is ticked. He is angry. He's a madman. And, and I mean, the wheels are coming off in this man's life. And we see it. And you're going to continue to see it as we continue through 1 Samuel. And, and if we could be real, we love it when drama like this happens, as long as it's not to us or to our family, right? I mean, we, we really do. Shows like Jerry Springer and Maury don't get rave reviews because it strikes at the intellect, right? No, no one watches that because they think, wow, now that was... That was stimulating to my brain. No, it's like, pass the popcorn, man. These people are crazy. Now, here's the thing. Why do we like that? Honestly, many times it's because we're like, at least I'm not as bad as them. And it makes my problem seem a whole lot better, right? Well, shame on us because these are real people. And this is a real situation. But it's still like, pass me the popcorn, because this is getting good. And this is getting good right here, because we see Saul is done. And, and, and here's the thing. This family, Saul really does put the word fun in dysfunctional, because this man is dysfunctional. He's terribly dysfunctional. If the jury was out on whether Saul was out to get David, it's not out any longer. Everyone knows right now there's no more doubt. He wants to kill David. I mean, Saul twice refers to David as the son of Jesse, right? That phrase would be intended, no doubt, to discredit him and demean him. He then, listen, he can't even say his name. He can't even say David, right? He says the son of Jesse, You know, it's another way of saying things you could probably use your imagination on. Then in his rage, right, he calls his own son, Jonathan, a son of a perverse, rebellious woman. I mean, talk about the pot calling the kettle black, right? I mean, seriously, much more accurate would be that he is the son of a jacked up father. Because that's what we see here. He really is. And I don't know about the mom, but I can tell you the fruit didn't fall far. But here's the thing. Let this be encouraging to you parents. This is a really, really bad dad, right? And Jonathan's a really good man. God's grace transcends our parenting. We do the best we possibly can, and we should. We want to put as much kindling around that heart and pray that the Lord sets fire to it, right? Yes? Yeah, we do. But even if you're a horrible dad, man, or maybe you had a horrible dad, God's grace abounds. God's grace abounds because you can be born again and have a heavenly father. And Jonathan is that picture. What a beautiful picture he is. I mean, it's obvious that Saul's sin of jealousy has set in and it's grown roots. Saul's greatest problem is that he loves himself, not God. That's his greatest problem. As I see it, it has been said that jealousy reveals our deepest loves. And we know that's true, right? We know that's true. We, we know it's true because here's the thing. At one time, especially in, in high school, I remember back to being real jealous. And it was the thing that I wanted so badly. And Saul wants what he wants. He wants his kingdom. And he don't want what God wants because God has a different plan, and he's not submitting to it. See, the the opposite of love is not hatred. We always think it is, but it's not. It's pride. It's absolutely pride. And the bad fruit of pride is sinful jealousy. And jealousy leads to hatred, and hatred leads to murder. And that's where Saul is at. We see that at the end of verse 31, where Saul says, He shall surely 
die. It's come to this. And Jonathan's at the point of no return. In the midst of all this chaos, he stands courageously. (laughs) I mean, I love this, right? This is a beautiful picture. And he asks the question of his father. He says, why should he be put to death? Why? What has he done? What has he done, Dad? And, And by asking this question, Jonathan has made it clear that he is siding with David. This is treason. It was decision time for Jonathan. And make no mistake about it, Jonathan chose David. And in choosing David, he really chose to go with God, not his father. And this begs the question, why would he do that? Why would he choose David over his own father? Simply put, because he was more interested in God's kingdom than his own. That's why. And man, that's where we all need to be. See, to side with God can mean siding against people that we love, including our families. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've experienced that. See, Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew 10, 37, when he says this, whoever loves father and, or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. See, to go all in with God will not always mean that you got posies just coming up and sunshine and life is just awesome and everywhere you go, birds sing. I think we wrongly tell people that when we're trying to present Jesus. Like, you know, just come to Jesus. You know, your boyfriend, he'll come back or your girlfriend, he'll come back. Money will start coming in. But many times following Christ leads to trouble. (laughs) Leads to real trouble, right? Heartache, suffering. And we should not be surprised when these troubles come. We must make up our minds in that moment to expect trouble in the world. Jesus tells us it will happen. And we, we as Christ followers, we must be ready to endure hardship and be content to lose material possessions, right? Relationships if necessary, and even our lives for the sake of the gospel, if that's what it takes, if that's what it means to go with God. Because to lose your life in that moment is not to lose your life. It's to gain eternal life in that moment because you'll never lose your life if you're gone with God and if he's in you and you're in him. That's what he tells us. I mean, this is exactly what Jonathan is displaying here in this moment. Saul, however, he's not interested in God's kingdom. He's interested in his own. Saul was stuck on himself. And that's why Saul hurled a spear at his own son. Just like he had done with David before, hatred had sunk in. It settled into King Saul, who was so drunk on jealousy and power that he was willing to kill people in his own kingdom. This is insanity. He's insane. Two things are obvious from that. One, Saul needs like some spear lessons. Like seriously. This dude's been throwing spears at people left and right, and he has not hit a single one. Right? You think he'd choose a different weapon or maybe get like one of his soldiers to do it, but that's besides the point. The second thing is we see that since Jonathan is with David, he's dead to Saul. He's dead to him. See, Jonathan was willing to sacrifice his life and his future kingdom in order to remain loyal to David and to the covenant that was between him and the Lord, which is amazing. And this kind of love takes tremendous courage. Jonathan's courage points us to the courage of Christ, right? Where, where he's, the night before his execution, he's praying in the garden, right? Do you remember in Mark 14, 32 through 36? Listen to these words. 
And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. <laughs> you want to talk about courage? You want to talk about courage, right? See, Jesus is the ultimate example of courage as he is faithful during the agony and the intense weight of that night. I mean, Jesus was not fleeing from the wrath that was to come, but he was courageously following the will of his Father. He trusted his Father. And we learn in Hebrews that it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising shame. He looked past the cross. He knew that he would be resurrected. But don't think because of that that this wasn't courageous. It was. In his humanity, this was extremely courageous. To know that he was going to go to the cross and have his father pour out his wrath on him. He had only ever known extreme love between the father and the son. And in that moment, he was going to take the place of sinners and be the most vile, vile sinner in the eyes of his father. And he courageously went. And we see this. And man, Jonathan's pointing us to that. But Saul, Saul's a coward. Unlike, you know, Saul, King Saul is such a coward. He sought, so much so that he sought to pierce his own son out of sinful anger. But God the Father sent Jesus, his son, to be pierced out of love for us. Do you see the difference? Man, one's an amazing king and one's a coward. That's what we see here. Jesus humbly embraced his father's will for his life. And Jesus' love is expressed in his courageous sacrifice in that moment. Which leads us to our last point. Right? So we've known, listen, love has been expressed through loyalty and courage. But now we see that it's expressed through sacrifice. Jonathan's love is expressed through his willingness to sacrifice kingdom his own well-being, and peace with his father. Look at verse 34. It says, And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. See, Jonathan had to choose between peace with David and with his father, and there was no real choice. He had to choose David, and in choosing David, once again, I'm telling you, he chose God. Jonathan chose David, and in doing so, he knew that he would not be made king. Instead, he embraced God. He embraced what God had called him to and, and what God had called him to be. This was his role, and he played it wonderfully. I mean, it doesn't mean just because this is what God had called him to that the sacrifice wasn't real. It was real. He laid it down on the line. And, and look how the story concludes. Verse 41 and 42. See, Jonathan meets up with David in the field. And, and look at this picture. Look at this picture of, of masculine love, by the way. This is what masculinity looks like, right? You know, there's two extremes when it comes to masculinity. There's, the, let's say, 
the pansy side, right? It's not masculine at all. Like when we think about male, many men are gone that way or they're gone to this ridiculous, like barbaric caveman. But what we see here are two men who are masculine. They're humble, they're loving, and they're, they're embracing one another. I see this in some cultures and I'm somewhat envious of it, the way these men show love for one another. Because in our culture, we don't even know how to do that. We don't know how to do that. But we see that here. And I want you to listen as I read, because the picture is profound. And as soon as the boy had gone, so, so the boy leaves the field, David rose from beside the stone heap, and he fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And he kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring, forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Man, talk about friends who who truly love one another. They were willing to die for one another. Jonathan remained faithful to the covenant that he had made with David. And, And this was a costly sacrifice, but it was worth it in the long run, right? Because Jonathan gave up peace with his father, no doubt, yes. But he gained peace and protection from David. And that's gonna be so needed in the future, spoiler alert. But more than that, more than that, though he did, what was right in the Lord's eyes. And man, that's what we want. That's what takes courage. That's what takes courage is doing what you know God's called you to do, even though it seems like everything's stacked against you. But he does it because he knew that, that anyone who chooses their own agendas over the Lord, bad things are bound to happen. And soon Saul's going to find that out. But so the commentary that we're reading through in this book, uh, Dale Ralph Davis says this, Quote, life does not consist in achieving your goals, but in fulfilling your promises. <laughs> you know, in our home, um, my daughter's quick to remind me, like, risings don't break their promises, right? Because that's just a phrase we use in our house. Now, here's the thing. We've broken promises. Um, we try really, really hard not to, which is why I think carefully through the words, because I know if I say, like, hey, later on we'll go get some ice cream, that's somehow, like, a promise, right? And so, like, it's like midnight. No place is open. Like, Dad, you promised! So we try to find ice cream, and we, we generally do. Um, we generally do. But, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, these promises that are being made are, are way beyond ice cream. This is the point of dying, right? And we see that. So just like Jonathan had to choose, you and I, we have to choose, we have to choose. And are you and I willing to give up our, let's, let's call them imaginary rights, to be the king of our little K kingdom? Do you know what I mean by that? Right? Like the life, like I'm captain of this ship. Because Jesus calls you to. He calls me to. He calls everyone to do that. No matter the cost, by the way. And here's the thing. We should be willing to gladly submit to, to King Jesus. Why? Because he wants your ultimate joy. And he makes a really great God because he's the only God. You and I, we make horrible gods. We make horrible gods. I make a horrible God. You make a horrible God. And so 
Why should we think that we know what's best for us? See, if Jesus calls you into suffering, here's the crazy thing. It's for your best. And you might not be able to see it in that moment. If he calls you to do the hardest thing that has integrity, even if you were to lose your job, it's best. Why? Because obeying Jesus is always best. It's not easy, though. But see, here's the thing. I hope that you and I know that there's no other choice than to lay it all down on the line for King Jesus. To follow Jesus will always cost you. It will always cost you. It's going to cost me. It's going to cost you. It will always mean difficult decisions. I mean, listen, if following Jesus in your life has never caused you a difficult decision, my guess is you're not following the real Jesus. You're following a Jesus that's made in your image, not the one in the Bible. That's my guess. Because the Jesus of the Bible is going to call you to change. He's going to call you to lose things that you love. And we can't love them more than we love him. He's going to call you to lay down things that are even good for the sake of following him who is ultimate. And here's the thing. It's always best. It's always best. But I don't always believe that in the moment, which is why I need reassured of his love daily, hourly, minute by minute. Because when he's calling you to the hardest moments, that's when you need to be reminded, I have a faithful God. I have a good God. I have a God who's going to call me to this, and it does not mean it will be the easiest road. It may be the hardest road, but that narrow road leads to eternal life, and so I will follow him. He will give me the grace to do that. He will help me to do that, and if I stumble, if I fall, he will come, and he will help me because he's a God of steadfast love, and he's made a covenant with his people, and he will see it through. This is the God that we're following. He wants all of you. Make no mistake about it. He doesn't just want your weekend attendance. He doesn't want you to separate sacred from secular. Everything's sacred for King Jesus. If you're a a mom and you've got a house full of little ones, changing diapers in the name of Jesus is sacred. Pray for them. Love them. You think that that's not building the church? It's building the church. Right? Men, you might be going to a job that you think is just dead. Well, go with integrity, work hard, represent your king. Why? Because that has eternal weight. You're representing the Lord. You don't work for a boss here. You work for King Jesus, and he's a good boss. right? He wants your ultimate joy, your ultimate happiness in him. And he wants all of you, no matter the cost. He wants every ounce of you. Now, don't forget His character as he's asking you to follow him, right? He's calling us to follow him. Jesus is the greater friend than Jonathan. (laughs) He's the greater king than David, right? This king stepped down off his rightful throne and laid down his life upon a cross for his enemies in order to call us friends. Have you ever thought of that? I mean, this is astounding love. It really is astounding love. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit right now would just press upon your heart that you could see how profound this love is, how great Christ is. I mean, listen to this text. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has none than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. His friends. I mean, Jesus, if you're in Christ, he calls you his friend. You might not have a friend that you could call on or depend upon. You're thinking, man, I wish I had a friend like Jonathan in the church, but I don't. I didn't for years. I would encourage you to pray. 
I'd encourage you to pray and then seek. If you've got one or two like that, man, you're set. You're solid. If you think you've got 20 of them, you don't. But if you don't have any of them right now, I want you to know Christ is enough. He calls you friend. Friend of sinners, right? Jesus calls us that. And that's no little thing, right? Think about it. You and I are really bad friends to Jesus most days. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. You're knocking out of the park this week? He's crushing it, right? Got that. I, I don't either. I don't either, but I'm striving. But here's the thing. He still loves me. He's still my friend because not predicated on how much I love him. His love abounds. <laughs> That's a great friend. We're much more like Saul, you and I. We're much more like Saul than anyone. We're not, we always like to think we're the David of the story, but we're, we're many times we're not. See, Jesus is the greatest friend of all. He's consistent. He will always be there in good times and in bad. Jesus is the ultimate friends of sinners. And, and he, he greatly displays his friendship and how willing he is to go to the extent of laying down his life for us while we were enemies to make us friends. That's the good news of the gospel. Talk about love being expressed, right? This is the greatest reminder that Jesus loves us deeply, that he has forgiven us our sins by his blood that he shed upon a cross. This great display of love should remind us that we're all valued in Christ's eyes, right? That we're never abandoned. He'll always be with us. He's done it all. This is the one who's calling you to follow him, to lay down your lives, to courageously follow him. Listen to Mark 8. 34 and 35. And I want you to hear him say this to you. To you. Right? He says this, and calling to the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. Man, no matter where Christ calls you, follow him. The gospel requires you to respond, right? If you're in Christ, it calls you to respond in worship. And worship always involves sacrifice. If following Jesus is never costing you anything, you're not following him. You're, you're just, you're living a facade. It will cost you. But you gain life. You'll gain eternal life. For those who are in Christ, here's the question I have for you today. Will you be more like Saul, right, who is hell-bent on clinging to his kingdom? Or will you, he's, he's wanting to cling to his agendas. He's wanting to cling to his power and ultimately his self. He's not gospel-centered. He's self-centered. Will you be more like that? Or will you and I, by God's grace, be like Jonathan? who submitted to a greater king and a greater kingdom, who laid down his agenda, who showed real power in submission and denied himself as he entrusted his future to the one true sovereign king of the universe. Oh, God, help us to be like Jonathan in that moment because there can be no middle of the road when it comes to Jesus. Make no mistake about it. You are either for him or you are against him. You cannot be ambiguous when it comes to Christ. You either love him or you hate him, and you must choose. You must choose. 
And if you have chosen, well, then I pray that you will live for King Jesus and his kingdom. And you will follow him into real, eternal life that lasts forever. Right? That's what I've been praying all week is, Lord, help us to be loyal. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be courageous for you, King Jesus. Help us to live lives of sacrifice for you. And not because Jesus needs anything from us. He doesn't. He's God. He doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need anything from me. He is pretty satisfied in himself. But our neighbors do. Oh, our neighbors need us to follow Christ. Our neighbors need us to be loyal to King Jesus. They need us to be sacrificial for the sake of the gospel. They need us to be courageous to share the good news with those who are not in Christ. They need us to lay down our lives for the sake of love as we humbly walk with our God, as we love one another, and as we seek the lost. That's how the church increases by health and size, by God's grace. But it needs Jesus freaks who will do that. And not just the pastors, not the deacons, not the people who are really spiritual, working in the kids' ministry. Every one of us. You all have a gift that God has given you to use to build up the church in health and size. Oh, the world needs you to use it, right? We need to use our gifts. Why? Because it makes God look glorious and it is so good for the ultimate joy of the people that we come in contact with. And here's the thing. He's not left us alone. He will enable us to be faithful because he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ask him to fill you every day with his love and his presence and go out in power. In power, real power. And he will help you do that. Church, that's what leads to real life. That's what leads to joy. Let me Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.